0: It's time for school, Rock School, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. I shall now play for you time beat. I know, it's George Martin, and you think, this is going to be fantastic. Don't get your hopes up.
1: My hopes are high. I can't wait to hear this.
0: Don't, don't, don't. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show and the Rock School Radio Network, broadcasting from my home studio here in the great state of Louisiana. Did you notice anything different about the home studio, my lovely wife, Tammy? Hmm? It's did clean. Well, it is clean. It's clean, but did you notice the wall? Look over there on the wall.
1: Oh, there's, well... Um it's a guitar. It's a
0: new guitar, huh?
1: It's not new, but it, it's a guitar. It is,
0: but I hung it on the wall over there, huh? Oh, there you go. Woodworking skills, ladies and gentlemen. So we got nothing, uh, something new on the wall here. So we have new dampening. Uh, some people put up egg crates, some uh-huh. people put up wood. I hang guitars on the wall. It's homey, huh? let
1: me tell you. That's
0: right. <laughs> Love
1: what you've done with the place.
0: Let me tell you how we got to this topic today. Now, this was weeks ago. Those of you who are audiophiles and follow the news and hear all these things, you're going to say, Joe, this happened weeks ago, So, and I'll give you that. The Beatles came up with some kind of a contract in order to stream their music over one of, I don't know, it's Spotify, Pandora, something, but you couldn't stream the Beatles for the longest time, but now you can stream the Beatles. Yeah. I I guess so, and it always kind of makes me smile a little bit when the Beatles are coming out with a new compilation album, or now you can stream them, or now you can download them on iTunes. I always kind of shake my head and I go, who doesn't have all these songs already?
1: A lot of people.
0: Really? Who?
1: I don't know. People who are younger people. Come on, just because you've had them for 30 years.
0: Well, uh, well, I I, I guess so, yeah. Uh, My guess is if you're talking about younger people, those younger people are not discovering the Beatles. Their parents, if they're any kind of parents, are introducing the Beatles to their kids. I mean, my kids can't get to school I drive them to school every morning they can't get to school without some of my music being pounded into their head right you get upset because I pound Zappa
1: yeah you're not pounding anything that I like into their head
0: <laughs> well that's because it, I'm in charge of therefore the car. it's wrong right so when I heard that the Beatles were being again streamed I thought to myself well okay that might be a show and I began looking into it And I went back over all the old shows and I thought, man, we have beaten the Beatles to death. I mean, we have looked at the Beatles from every angle conceivably possible. And it occurred to me the one Beatle that we have not looked at is the fifth Beatle. What? And the fifth Beatle is George Martin. I get it. There's all kinds of people. I'm the fifth Beatle because I played keyboard for them, Billy Preston. Mm -hmm. I am the fifth Beatle because I played drums for them. I am the fifth Beatle because I this, I that. Come on. The fifth Beatle is George Martin, the person who sat behind the glass and played with the fader pots and made sure that the musicians were there, made sure that when John Lennon said, I want this kind of a sound, George Martin never said no. George Martin simply sort of shook his head and went, okay, how How, can I get that? How do I do
1: that, right? Right.
0: There was never a no. There was simply a, give me a second. I need to figure (laughs) out how that can be done. George Martin is the fifth Beatle, and I don't think we've ever done a show explaining this is George Martin's story.
1: I want to hear, because I don't know this.
0: George Martin was born on January 3rd, 1926, and for an hour, let's talk about his story, and who he is. We'll start with a Beatles song and then get into his life. This is Maxwell's Silver Hammer. Why? Because our son, Maxwell, is named after Maxwell's Silver Hammer.
1: Yes, he is.
0: And it sounds like this on Rock School. Joan
1: was quizzical, studied metaphysical to physical science in-
0: George Martin, the fifth Beatle here on Rock School. Go ahead, fight me. He is the fifth Beatle. Uh, I'm
1: not going to fight you. I'm going to learn.
0: I get it. There's six or seven people that can vie for the fifth Beatle title, but it is George Martin, the producer of the Beatles. At age six, he said to his dad, I want piano lessons. Dad said, okay. But for two years, he paid for it and then said, no, I'm not paying anymore. I got bills to pay. So he had to pay himself. He used to listen to BBC broadcasts of the symphony and loved it during the war. That solidified his want to work in the music world. Martin used his War Veterans Grant to enroll in Guildhall School of Music and Drama between 1947 and 1950, where he studied piano and, of all instruments, oboe.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Which I'm guessing... Was able to allow him to understand the concept of classical music, which when you listen to the Beatles, when they bring in entire orchestras, Mm -hmm. somebody had to be able to speak the language. You know, John Lennon didn't understand how a French horn worked or any of that stuff. So you had George Martin along with that. Interestingly enough, his oboe teacher was Margaret Asher. Ring any bells? No. Margaret Asher was the mother of Jane Asher, who dated Paul McCartney in the 1960s, huh? Yeah. See that? It all comes together in a pretty pink bow. After graduating from Guildhall, he worked at BBC's Classical Music Department and in 1950 joined EMI, this should sort of bring us to Beatles happy, as an assistant to Parlophone boss Arsker Prius. At that time at Parlophone, which was a German sort of EMI imprint, he was largely seen as a novelty producer. So he put out a whole lot of sort of joke songs. you got to start somewhere. Absolutely. Sure, somebody is going to put you in front of a board. Here come the joke people. Record them. Okay, this is my first job, this is what I'll do. When Prius in 1955, uh, he retired, Martin took over as the head of Parlophone, and his greatest successes came with The Goon Show, Rolf Harris, and other joke people. He continued doing what he understood. Then in 1962, he used the pseudonym Ray Cathode, Now, a cathode ray tube, ray cathode. Yes. A cathode ray tube was the thing that allowed a television to, or a television camera at least, to record an image. So, television was new, cathode ray tube, ray cathode. (laughs) There you go. He was trying to be hip at Uh, the time. He
1: was hip.
0: There you go. He released an electronic dance single called Time Beat. I shall now play for you Time Beat. I know it's George Martin and you think this is going to be fantastic. Don't get your hopes up.
1: My hopes are high. because I can't wait to hear this.
0: Don't, don't, don't. This is Time Beat from George Martin on Rock School. <laughs> So, Time Beat came out. There oh, you have it. Oh, my gosh. It was, it was literally, the way terrible. I look at it, it wasn't terrible. Awful. It, it was a dance song. It was something to have a beat in the background so people could shimmy and shake and do the frug. Uh. That's, that's all it was. And it was nice sounds. So, for four minutes, somebody could shake their hips.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's
0: all it was. And it got airplay, and it got his name out there. However, the burgeoning rock and roll scene was coming up. It's 1962. And George Martin was looking for people to work with. So he ran into, I get it. Oh, the Beatles are coming. Not yet. Hold fast. Okay. Okay. Paul Raven shows up and he's looking for someone to produce him. Any idea who Paul Raven will become later in life? Uh,
1: the Paul Revere?
0: No, good, good guess off of the first name. However, Paul Revere and the Raiders are an American band. Yeah,
1: yep, yep.
0: Paul Raven will, at some later date, become Gary Glitter.
1: Oh, I would have never put that together. I know.
0: As in Rock and Roll Part 2. But somewhere out there was a person listening to the podcast screaming,
1: Gary Glitter, man! (laughs) Um, Okay, fine. You got it, dude.
0: He signed a recording contract. He, Paul Raven, signs a recording contract with Parlophone and worked with George Martin before the Beatles, obviously. Martin records two singles with the guy, Walk On Boy and Tower of Strength. Neither of them sells very well, and Parlophone says... Look, young man, you're just not working out with us. And they cut him loose. But for those two singles, the first two rock and roll singles that were produced by he, George Martin, here's Tower of Strength. Sounds like this on Rock Store.
1: If I were a tower of strength, I'd walk away. You'd be down on your knees.
0: Okay, coming into the first break, we're to the Beatles. Oh, good. All right, here's the Because it the hasn't
1: been good so far. No,
0: no. Here's the Beatles story. Martin was not told about the Beatles, per se. He was told about Brian Epstein, who managed this pop group. Now, Epstein was known as sort of a superstar manager, because he had the Dakotas and a bunch of other little groups, and he arranged a get-together to listen to this little band that was turned down by just about everybody, including DECA, which was the monster label at the time. Right. Okay? So, he got together with these guys February of 1962, and he thought they were, quote, unpromising which is not the greatest of words. However, he did think well of John Lennon and Paul McCartney's vocals. He met with the pair again on May, May 9th, if you want to be specific, uh, of Abby, at, at Abbey Road and agreed on a contract that he, George Martin, thought gave him nothing to lose. The Beatles were going to be paid a penny per single sold, which meant... If they didn't sell anything, who cares? Right. If they did sell something, who cares? Yeah. The deal, however, stated that he would only sign the contract with them if they worked with engineer Norm Smith and producer Ron Richard first. So it wasn't. You know, George Martin that worked with them first. Somebody else had to play with them first before George Martin would mess with them. So they came in, they did a couple little things, and then George Martin sort of sat down. Let's listen to the tapes. Mm -hmm. And when that was done, he looked at them and said, Is there anything you don't like about this? And George Harrison looked at him and said, I don't like your tie. (laughs) And so he signed them. So kids, be honest. Say whatever you want. Now we are with the Beatles. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll tell you some more stories about what happened and how Ringo Starr was brought in. However, Ringo Starr was not the drummer on some of the first things because when George Martin listened, he kind of went, that's not your guy.
1: Oh, and
0: we'll also tell you the story about when George Martin hit the talk back button and went, gentlemen, you have just recorded your first number one single. Nice. Who is listening? W.O.U.B. Athens, Ohio. Thank you for running the radio show
1: and K.R.F.Y. Sandpoint. Idaho.
0: I want to go to Sandpoint, Idaho. I've been to Idaho, but not Sandpoint. Let's go. Get us on Facebook, search Rock School Radio Show, or we'll be the unhappiest people in Louisiana. Back in a minute on Rock School. Coming out of the break, okay, now we've got George Martin and the Beatles in the recording studio together. It happened on the 4th of September, 1962, and of course, the Beatles walked in, clouds part, single beam of light, B minor chord on the organ, and they sing some phenomenal Beatles song, and it goes to number one! It's a hit! No, that's not what happened. Uh Uh-oh. As a matter of fact, George Martin had them record, How Do You
1: You Do do What You Do do To me?" Me,
0: which was a song that was written by Mitch Murray not, Lennon-McCartney, which was a big hit for Jerry and the Pacemakers. By the way, Jerry and the Pacemakers, English or British or, British or American? British uh, or American. American, I think. No, no, they were British. You huh? know, you know. I always have uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers and Gary and the Playboys always oh. on the same brain cell. Yeah, I
1: think you're right. So I
0: think that's why you messed it up. That's why I always mess it up. They recorded the song they the beatles recorded the song they were unhappy about it because it wasn't their song but hey they weren't the beatles right. at the time and you want us to record the song we'll do it they recorded it and i have the recording of it here oh it is isn't until later they record their songs but let's hear what an early beatles recording let's. by george martin sounds like here you go how do you do it on rock school
1: How do you do what you do to me? I wish I knew if I knew how you do it to me, I'd do it. Wish I knew how you do it to me, I do it to you.
0: Okay, coming out of the Jerry and the pacemakers big hit song. Now, at that same September get-together with George Martin, they also recorded a version of Love Me Do Mm -hmm. and a very slow version of Please Please Me. Now, imagine, you know, please please me, oh yeah, like I please you. Yes. But knock it down by half speed.
1: Which would make it kind of sound...
0: Roy Orbison-like. That's what George Martin wanted. He wanted it to sound like a Roy Orbison dirge because, you know, Roy Orbison had this operatic voice and he wanted something like that. Okay, fine. Okay. Here's the problem. George Martin was not overly happy with Ringo Starr's drumming. So what he did was he re-recorded Love Me Do a week later with session drummer Andy White. And that's the one everybody knows. It went to number 17 on the charts. Martin then went, okay, hey, look, we've got something here. So what he did was he brought the Beatles back into the studio in November of 1962 and re-recorded Please Please Me, Got rid of that whole thing about Roy Orbison, pepped it up, and at the end of recording Please Please Me again with White as the session drummer. Oh, my. Looked at them and said, gentlemen, you have just recorded your first number one song. (gasps) Now, I don't have the slow Roy Orbison style dirge. If it's out there, I wish I could get my hands on it because Mm -hmm. I think that would be fun to listen to. But what I do have is the original recording of Love Me Do with Ringo Starr's drumming in it. It is also a little bit slower, and it's not the version that you know. But you take a listen to it, and you tell me if we should have pulled Ringo Starr off the drums.
1: Well, I'm hearing a couple of things there. I mean, it sounds like he's he's beginning to believe that Ringo Starr may not be the quote drummer the beatles need am i right about that well
0: ringo came in and if you remember the famous you know line by john lennon a reporter asked him is ringo star the greatest rock drummer and uh, john lennon said greatest rock drummer he's not even the greatest drummer in the beatles so <laughs> here you go there <laughs> it is on rock school <laughs> Should we have gotten rid of Ringo Starr on the first couple of singles, yes or no? No. No, I didn't think so either. I mean, I I like a good drummer. Ringo Starr. You're shaking Never. your head. This is radio. You have to speak. Never. So no, you wouldn't have. No. But it's a good piece of trivia.
1: And he turns out to be, later in life, one sure. of my favorite Beatles. So. Right.
0: When he goes solo, I think you like his music as a solo artist better than any of the four. I do.
1: I yeah. like all the weird stuff.
0: Excellent. Bottom of the hour. We're done with the Beatles. We're going to talk about more things that George Martin did other than the Beatles. But first, it is time for the bottom of the hour. I'm Joe Burns. You are?
1: I am, Tammy Byrne
0: 7 days 77 seconds these are the rock and roll dates (laughs) March 7th all the way through March 13th go ahead Tammy what's Monday
1: March 7th 1980 the coal miners daughter the biography of Loretta Lynn and it starred Sissy Spacek
0: it opened up yeah you gotta stick a (laughs) verb on the end of it come on March 8, 1969, The Small Faces split up after singer Steve Marriott announced he was leaving the band. Ronnie Lane, Ian McLagan, and Kenny Jones linked up with Ronnie Wood and Rod Stewart and formed just flat out The Faces. March
1: 9, 1997, Notorious B.I.G. was gunned down and killed as he left a party at the Peterson Automotive Museum in Los Angeles.
0: March 10, 1958, Big Records released Our Song by a teenage duo from Queens, New York, Tom and Jerry. The duo would become famous later on in the 60s under their real names Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel.
1: March 11th, 1968 the Otis Reddy single sitting on the dock of the bay went gold in the U.S. three months after the singer was killed in a plane crash.
0: March 12, 2001, Judy Garland's Over the Rainbow was voted the song of the century in a poll published in America. And finally, March 13, 1965, Eric Clapton quits the Yarbirds. Okay. George Martin I guarantee you probably didn't know was involved in the James Bond themes. Almost from the beginning, the production of the James Bond music was done by... Him.
1: So that's why a lot of them sound the same, I guess. Sort of
0: Beatle ish? Mm -hmm. Sure. Martin worked directly with three Bond themes. He was responsible for bringing Matt Monroe to EMI to do From Russia with Love. He then produced Shirley Bassey's Goldfinger and also McCartney's Live and Let Die. He also wrote that film's score. Whoa. How about that? Big time. Goldfinger on Rock School we Okay, into the second break. Yeah, yeah, I know. You were talking to me off mic about Bond themes.
1: Love James Bond. I
0: love James Bond. I get it. Maybe it's just the fact that I own an X and a Y chromosome. I think James Bond films are crack cocaine. But the last few James Bond themes, I have thought were just terrible. Me too. I understand that because it's Adele, we are required by some kind of UNESCO law to love her music but mm-hmm. i thought her james bond theme was some kind of overbloated boring merchant ivory overblown black so what do you really think about it no i couldn't stand it the last one was sam smith
1: i know yuck
0: huh? and I it know. just won a grammy Yuck. Honest to goodness. Uh, You know, this is going to make a lot of people go, oh, come on, Joe. But Duran Duran's was good. Mm -hmm. I get it. You two did a nice job with Mm -hmm. it, although theirs was also starting to lean you know, over-bloated, merchant, ivory, oh, well, torch song. Paul bless. McCartney's
1: Live and Let Die. Right, it was a oh, rock song. Oh, my gosh. It the build to that song was amazing. Well, the
0: one you just listened yes, to, Goldfinger. Goldfinger.
1: Well, that's the one. You, every time you think of James Bond in your head, that's the song that comes out, the right. Goldfinger one.
0: Yeah, and I I don't know why it's become a slow Plodding, you know death he's he's gonna die no he's not
1: well there's a lot of great artists out there who have not recorded a james bond song that should
0: i i don't know why they don't hand it to a, a solid rock band can you imagine what a metallica or a tool would do with a James Bond song. Good idea. It would be fantastic. Yeah, at least, I like that. At least let them take a swing at it. Why are you handing it to the bubble gum? If they hand the next one to Miley Cyrus, they at the end of it, we know when Bond turns, when you're looking down the barrel uh-huh. of a gun, when he turns, shoot her.
1: Exactly. That's what you should do. Bang, bang.
0: One more thing here. A bunch of more things, actually, but one more thing in this break. George Martin created the associated independent recording system the AIR that's an independent recording company that was founded in London in 1965 again by George Martin and his partner John Burgess after he you know George Martin departed from EMI okay so what what did that do Well, this gave Martin and anybody who joined up with AIR the ability to become an independent producer. So you no longer had to be employed by a company and paid a salary. You could be an independent person hiring yourself out to whomever was interested in hiring you. Mm -hmm. And thus you could also set your own fee for whatever you wanted to hire yourself out for, you are now in the market of ideas instead of. Well, I'm employed by EMI; they pay me a salary, and yes. even if I create this phenomenal monster rock hit,
1: right? You don't get. You only get a little money for
0: exactly it. Exactly that. Uh, he could also share in the record's royalties if he wanted, which to that point, no one could actually do. Air's first facilities were on the fourth floor of 214 Oxford Street, containing four studios and later the very first MIDI, musical instrument, digital (laughs) interface, programming room, and it was absolutely state of the art. You know it was. And it was George Martin that did it. And because the name George Martin was behind it, you can only imagine that every musician flocked to this place how can i get your magic to sprinkle all over me wyap clay west virginia thanks for running the radio show
1: and wxzy in Kane, pennsylvania
0: coming back in a minute to talk more about george martin because he did more than that it's been a heck of a life back in a minute on rock school Out of the break here on Rock School. George Martin set himself up his own studio, as he should have. And this was back when it was all tape and setting up a studio was millions and millions of dollars.
1: Yes, it was. And
0: when you have the Beatles behind you and you were sharing in royalties... You had money. Mm -hmm. Even when it was 19 for you, you know, and one for me, as it said in Taxman, the money just simply had to be there. In 1979, a recording studio was created on the Caribbean island of Montserrat. And that's where people came to record with George Martin. I guess it's time to leave Rainy London and go to where it sunshines three hundred sixty-five days out of the year. He went ahead and produced groups like Duran Duran, the the, 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 the album Rio. Rio, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, dire Straits Brothers in Arms, and of course the police's ghost I say of course, the police's ghost in the machine and synchronicity. But I want to You know, visit that studio. Well, you can't anymore because it was blown off the map thanks to Hurricane Hugo. Really? Right now, the space where it at one point in time sat Uh is little more than a tourist attraction for people like me. You know, where was Air Studios? Well, that's where it was. There's like a little plaque and that's about it. Wow. But for a short while... That's where those in the know came. And I have a listing here when you when you think of it. George Martin, oh, he was a producer for the Beatles. Really? A lot more people than the Beatles than you think, and a lot more hits that you know. Here you go, it's the police synchronicity on Rock School. Last break here on Rock School, and as is the want of the show, I've run out of time. I just have to do some listing for you.
1: I love this guy.
0: Here are, he's magic, isn't he?
1: It is unbelievable. No matter where he has a studio, I mean, he's putting out the hits. It's because of him.
0: It is. It's it's his ear. You, you say to yourself, well, what does a producer really have? He has the ability to take a song probably one of my songs and take it from the rudimentary idea of here are the chords here are the lyrics here's the structure of the song he could take it turn it twist it bend it fold it mutilate it and turn it into something that the average person would go this is fantastic and it would probably not be much of what i thought it was So you'd have
1: to be willing to let your baby go And let him just do what he needed to do with it
0: You have to know that would be one of the hardest things As a musician Mm -hmm. This is my girl, this is my boy This This is the thing Here are some of the albums that you may not have known that George Martin stuck his fingers in. Uh, Jeff Beck uh, was told by a lot of people, pardon me, Martin was told, don't touch Jeff Beck, he's a loser. The result was the album Blow by Blow, which was Jeff Beck's easily, if you're not even a Jeff Beck fan, you probably know Blow by Blow. Ferry Cross the Mersey was also won by uh, won by our man. All Shook Up, Cheap Trick, Stop This Game, this single, unbelievably big. Uh, Holiday by America. Well, so what? Well, that's got the singles Tin Man and Lonely People from uh. 1974. There you go. Uh, time Exposure by the Little River Band. That was recorded at Montserrat.
1: Oh, sweet.
0: So that's got Take It Easy on Me, Man on Your Mind, and Night Owl. I mean, come on. Why don't I just sprinkle you with fairy dust? So, Tommy by The Who...
1: Get out. That
0: was done by him. And Apocalypse by the Mahavishnu Orchestra. That was our fourth album, released in 1974. And according to Martin, he said it's the best recording he has ever made. And this is the man that recorded the Beatles. Wow. So there you go. We'll play one more song and that'll wrap it up. So if nothing else, now you know a little background on George Martin who is the fifth Beatle. Stop the arguments. I get it. Somebody played Keyboard for them, Billy Preston. Somebody sang with them before they became the Beatles. Uh-huh. I get it. This guy is the fifth Beatle. Yeah, there. We're done arguing. Rock school has said so. <laughs> I, I, I guess we're the the podcast of of merit. So there you are. We're going to finish up with one you wanted to hear, "Little River Band," it's the Night Owl. That'll do it. I'm Joe Burns. I'm Tammy Burns. That's it. Class is dismissed.